Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome back to Administrative Static. And uh, as I said, Mark is uh, not with us uh, this, for this episode, but I am joined by my co- colleague, Sheng Li, to discuss an important uh, case out of the Supreme Court that came out uh, at the end of the term. And uh, it had to do with uh, administrative power to simply uh, saddle the U.S. with over half a trillion in debt. Uh, debt just on the president's say so welcome to the program shang thanks john and that's absolutely right uh and that that amount by the way works out to be over three thousand dollars per taxpayer on average so it's not you know it's it's not just a, a number for the government but it affects you know each individual taxpayer by quite a lot so so what happened here uh who challenged it and what did the court do i'll i'll let you go on so in the in the main case, it, so what happened was the uh, the Department of Education uh, put out a a decision saying they're going to cancel uh, between ten and twenty thousand dollars of student loans that people borrowed and owed to the federal government, owed to taxpayers, uh, and they'll just wipe it off the books. Um, and what happened was a group of states led by Nebraska and to some extent Missouri uh, sued. Uh, to stop that cancellation from happening. Um, at the same time, there were other lawsuits filed by private uh, organizations, including our organization. Um, and one of those private groups, uh, two individuals, um, were also sued and got to the Supreme Court. All right. And and uh, so uh, and, and in this one, I, I, we've discussed standing before, so we really don't have to discuss the standing issue, I don't believe. Unless you think it's important, because I think we did it originally uh, some months ago. But um, the court reached the merits. They found standing, I think, because uh, Missouri's uh, uh, loan uh, was mm-hmm. loan processor was a creation of the Missouri state, and and so they had some kind of harm, and the and so they had standing. And I I think the dissenters didn't like that, but. But let's get to the real administrative law question, which um, the government always tries to avoid administrative well, law questions I, I, by standing yeah. <laughs> right next to all the rest of it. So I, I, so, I will just I, I will just add a little interrupt a little bit and say for standing for those two individuals who claimed they were injured um, because they didn't have an opportunity to comment on the rulemaking process. The court nine zero said they did not have standing. Uh, so this isn't just, you know, a, a case where the court was you know, reaching and just figuring out and we're, we're dispensing with standing doctrine in total just so that they can reach some kind of decision. Well, that's good. But as I say, the government always uses these things to avoid the issue. Let's not do it on this program. Let's put standing <laughs> aside. Well, what, and, and, and on that, yeah, sorry. On, what did on the majority matter, hold? What's going on? So the majority of Roberts really, Roberts wrote the majority for uh, six justices. And his opinion really starts off as a very straightforward statutory uh, interpretation opinion. And the statute in this case is the HEROES Act of 2003, 
which says during a national emergency, and that, that's COVID, I guess, um, the Secretary of Education has authority to um, waive or modify provisions of uh, federal student loan statutes uh, for individuals affected by that national emergency. And so his, his, his opinion kind of focuses on this, this phrase, waive or modify, and what that power means. Starting with modify, he says, well, look, at, look modify doesn't mean um, what, you know, rewrite. A modify means a small change. And what the Department of Education here is purporting to um, use the word modify to just cancel out, um, you know, they're saying we're modifying a statute that says the secretary can cancel loans for disabled people and the secretary can cancel loans for bankrupt people uh, and modifying that to say the secretary can cancel loans for everybody. And, and here's the line that, that, that he used uh, for, that, for that explanation. I said, well, the secretary's plan has modified, in quotes, quotations, the cited provisions only in the same way that the French Revolution modified the status of the French nobility. And so that's not what modify means. Um, and so modify. Yeah, I suppose you're modified there. when your head's chopped off, but. Uh... Exactly. And, and, and so he's saying you can't use the word modify to just rewrite the statute in total. Um, and next he goes to the word wave. Well, what does wave mean? Well, to wave means you wave. Uh, so it's not just to. The statute doesn't say you can waive a loan. It says you can waive a statutory requirement or statutory provision of, uh, of a loan statute. And, and there, for one, the secretary didn't actually identify any, any, any specific provision that's being waived. Um, and, and indeed, he couldn't. Uh, so so the, the interpretation of waive means, well, you can waive certain requirements for um, for getting to programs, for instance, look, you know, this, this Heroes Act was meant for um, soldiers who are, you know, have to deploy overseas to fight Al-Qaeda and, and, you know, the Taliban and all that. Um, and so, look, if they miss some paperwork to get into, you know, a loan forgiveness program, like a public service loan forgiveness program, that, you can waive that. Uh, but, but you can't waive the loan itself. You can waive a legal requirement, such as meeting a deadline, but you can't waive the fact that you owe money. <laughs> And, and, right. and based on that, that alone, the secretary could have hanged his hat up and said, wave and modify doesn't get you there. But he went further and, and, and invoked the major questions doctrine to really push forth the point and, and reinforce the conclusion. Well, and, you know, I, I, I am – I don't think anyone was surprised by the outcome of this, but why isn't if, – if, was this a major questions doctrine issue? I mean, was was modify could mean you know modify a lot. I mean, why why did he right. decide that it was only small modifications? Right. So he he invoked the major questions doctrine to say, well, that my narrow interpretation of modify uh, should and, and wave should hold the day here. Um, the major question doctrine. What it says is that when you take when an agency decides to, you know, ground, you know, earth-shattering, uh, significantly significant political and economic decisions in sort of vague and nebulous language, uh, what the courts need to do is actually interpret that vague and nebulous language um, narrowly and not let the agency get away with pulling what, what you know, as Scalia said, pulling an elephant out of a mouse hole. Um, this this modify language. Um, 
if the idea is if Congress really wanted to delegate to the uh, uh, Department of Education the ability to wipe away half a trillion dollars of debt, Congress would have said something uh, more clearly than say you can modify or waive uh, some statutory requirements. Well, you know what? It, it, it does strike me that well, you said something that I didn't know. I didn't know that the secretary could uh, wipe away loans for people who went into bankruptcy because one of the problems with the loan program from a from a st- from a standpoint of is, is that, you know, you can go into bankruptcy and wipe, wipe out all kinds of debt, but not student loans. And um, it did. It does strike me. I, I didn't even know that provision was in there. Um, it does strike me that you know that would be a narrower thing, but 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 the administration decided that it wanted to do this sweeping um, student loan relief, um, and and it didn't it didn't it, it thought it could win on standing, I guess. But um, it, what what you know, Roberts wasn't alone. He had uh, the majority of the court with him, but I think there there were some um, concurring opinions. Anything interesting in them? Well, uh, yeah, Justice Barrett's concurrence really laid out, uh, I think, an interesting um, defense of the major questions doctrine. Now, the doctrine has been um, cited by by NCLA, by Justice Gorsuch in his famous Gundy uh, dissent and, and other uh, other times as uh, safeguarding the separation of powers by uh, safeguarding essentially the vesting clause uh, in preventing uh, the executive from usurping congressional powers. It's, it's and, and Justice Barrett kind of articulated an alternative uh, approach to that um, in response to Kagan's dissent. Now, this, Kagan basically says, look, um, textualism requires you to interpret the text. Wave and modify means a lot, so let's, let's, let's interpret that to mean a lot. Uh, and and I, I think Barrett's concurrence to that was very persuasive in that she said she, you, that the major questions doctrine is not just this um, – a canon of interpretation that uh, that protects the separation of powers. It's also um, just common sense. You, you know, you, you interpret words in their proper context. And her example is that well, what if what if um, you know your parents, uh, pair of parents, go away for the weekend and hand the babysitter a credit card and <laughs> says, "Hey, make make sure the kids have fun." Now, what what authority did the parent delegate to that babysitter? Uh, on one count, um, you know. Have fun can mean anything. Uh, in a movie, you know, right? Uh, so uh, the, the, the miniature golf. Could, right. Well, the baby. Well, her example is the babysitter could take the kids on a on a week long excursion or weekend long excursion to an amusement park, and um, you know, party all day and stay at a hotel and all that. Um, but is that really what we think, parents? You know, would that be a reasonable interpretation uh, by the by the uh, babysitter of the the authority to use that credit card? Probably not a more reasonable interpretation because I can get them ice cream and pizza. Uh, so, so in the same way, is it a reasonable interpretation by the secretary, by the president, uh, to look at this wave or modify um, language uh, in in the context of of a statute that's you know clearly designed for you know soldiers who are deploying or or victims of war and, and other sort of terrorist attacks and national emergencies of the sort, and say, well, this actually, uh, well, I'm going to interpret this literally. Um, to mean whatever powers I want, and and uh, the the Barrett's concurrence basically says it's not you can't textualism is not literalism. Textualism requires you to interpret the text in context, and interpreting um, and the major questions doctrine 
is, serves that sort of common sense reading of language. Great. Well, we'll we'll listen to the uh, some of the dissent when we get back. Welcome back to Administrative Static, and I'm joined by my colleague, Sheng Li, who um, we put in an amicus brief in this case. I guess I should note NCLA did that, and you authored it. Um, so uh, before we get to the uh, dissents, and I, I will tell our audience, I was a little surprised at two dissents. I was a little surprised that Kagan and um, uh, was, was in the, was in the uh, minority here. Um, because I, I think on administrative law, she usually goes in the Roberts direction. And I, I was kind of there with Katanji Brown Jackson, too, because I think she follows Breyer quite a bit. And I think Breyer would have been um, with the majority on this one. I, I, he does not like too much uh, administrative, uh, uh, I don't know, invention. Anyway, Sheng, yeah, well, well, tell was, us what was, was uh... in our – what was in our amicus brief, and uh, and then what was in the dissents? Well, in yeah, in our amicus brief on this case, uh, we raised, uh, we we supported the arguments, essentially three arguments uh, for the states. The first is we try to buttress up the state standing argument by saying there's actually by presenting the court with an alternative basis for standing. We don't need to get into that because the court found standing on the based on the state's argument. Uh, we also uh, Ask the court to say, ask the court that there's this appropriations clause problem um, that uh, that exists, which um, uh, because the Congress is the uh, has the exclusive power of the purse, and therefore any program, even if the Secretary of Education had some sort of authority he, to do this, he didn't have authority to spend half a trillion dollars without Congress. And uh, uh, the, the the just the Chief Justice's opinion actually. I think touched on this a little bit, didn't give us, you know, didn't cite us for the credit creations. Let me see uh, what he said here. He said, in light of the sweeping and unprecedented impact of the Secretary's loan forgiveness program, it would seem more accurate to describe the program as being in the wheelhouse of the House and Senate Committee on Appropriations. And, uh, <laughs> and that's, that's a response directly to Kagan's uh, dissent saying uh, student loans are part of the Secretary's wheelhouse. And, and Justice Roberts saying, no, no, no. Uh, this is half a trillion dollars that makes it the wheelhouse of the uh, of Congress's appropriations committees. Yeah, and um, all right. Well, oh, and so, yeah, go ahead. Well, and I would add. Finally, our 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 amicus also argued. Hey, by the way, this um, loan student loan pause that's been going on since 2020 is also unlawful. And we made this argument because the uh, the government tried to say, well. Uh, try to use the pause to buttress out the forgiveness, saying the forgiveness uh, is just an outgrowth of the pause, and since the pause is legal, the forgiveness is also illegal. And we argued, hey, look at this. This, this pause is even worse. Uh, because it cancels interest, it is just another form of forgiveness. And, it does, and unlike the, the you know, 2022 cancellation plan, 
it doesn't even have any income um, uh, threshold. Like everybody, even if you make a million dollars a year, you get it. Uh, yeah. and, and interestingly, Justice Kagan agrees with us uh, for dissent. Um, she, she says, hey, even though the majority opinion doesn't address the pause because the pause is a different case, if you apply it, she agrees. Um, it says the pause is um, is unlawful. And why is how does Kagan, who you know, I, if Mark were here, he he would say I'm I am overly fond of Justice Kagan, but I think she's a good writer and I think she's a good thinker. And um, what does she say about the 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 sheer Five hundred billion, half a trillion dollars in the hands of the executive to simply wipe away and add to our balance sheets on uh, such uh, tenuous language. What, what's her What's her excuse for for allowing that? Yeah, I'll start by saying I was surprised that you were. I thought Kagan would write a dissent, but possibly just focused on the standing issue, which I Me think too. there was more reasonable grounds for for disagreement. But yeah. her dissent goes all the way, sweeps all the way into the merits. Um, and and uh, maybe this was coming because in, if you recall in the last year's West Virginia the EPA case, Kagan wrote a dissent, well written one at that, um, which um, uh, you know takes a shot at the uh, at the majority opinion there by calling them you know um, you know not true textualist because because you need to you know just give the give those words meaning uh, you know wave you know I think she really sees on the word wave and wave means you can just get rid of stuff. Um, but I, I think the great rebuttal to, to Kagan uh, is uh, Justice Barrett's uh, concurrence, which uh, um, you know I think supports uh, the major questions doctrine in a way that's consistent with Kagan's position. Uh, that is, say, it's just this is just a way of interpreting language within context, and we should do that instead of giving a you know using a, adopting a hyper literalist approach as Justice Kagan does. Um, Kagan also, um, so what she does is she accuses the court, and this is sort of commonplace and maybe too common now, of um, breaching the separation of powers by taking powers away from the political branches, that is Congress and uh, the executive. Uh, but I think Roberts dismisses this pretty easily by saying, no, 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 this week I agree with you know Justice Kagan, this is a uh, separation of powers case, but it's really about separating the executive from the legislative. The executive is usurping. Um, the legislative uh, powers of um, of the United States Congress, and, and in, in that regard, the Roberts decision is, is maybe on the merits, at least, maybe the least controversial, um, legally at least, of this term, because all the court did is reiterate what Speaker of the controversial um, cases of the term. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, well, no, even even some of the early ones. Look, all the court did was reiterate what uh, then. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said in 2021, and then I who Roberts quoted, right? Yeah, people think that the President of the United States has the power of debt forgiveness. He does not. That has to be an act of Congress. That's essentially what Roberts held, um, which which seems to to me be a fairly uncontroversial position, given um, Nancy Pelosi was saying this without any. No one took umbrage at what she said. Not the media, not academics, not even the White House, who she said doesn't have this power you know, criticize her. So yeah, it's, and, um, and you know, the other thing about this is the executive, they, they always want to do something sweeping. Whereas as you've pointed out, there are like the bankruptcy and there are certain things that they could do and say, everyone who applies, we, 
who has uh, who's gone bankrupt in chapter whatever um we will we will grant this to or everybody who's and, and they pick out parts of the actual law where congress said you get to do this and it's clear this wouldn't happen but they wanted you i i think the criticism is is that it was a political move for um the constituency that the biden administration wants to court rather than um you know there really was no emergency in student loan repayments there really was no emergency uh, covid certainly didn't affect this in that a lot of people's balance sheets got better um yeah, so well, so there's a lot there's a lot here in the background i think uh shading yeah. this but i think as a straightforward administrative law case it seems it has to be right otherwise whenever congress doesn't say you can't do this the the, the executive is just going to run wild yeah, and that's that's precisely what the major questions doctrine is uh, designed to prevent: is to you know, is to take a vague delegation that doesn't have these explicit explicit warnings and and you know read those explicit read those warnings and, and limitations in vague language. Um, and on, on this dissent point, like this could have been this you know even without the statutory interpretation, this could have been uh, addressed on other statutory grounds too. For example, Kagan tries to rescue um, the HEROES Act by saying, hey, the, the Secretary's authority here was bounded. He could do only what was, quote unquote, necessary to alleviate the uh, pandemic's economic impact on borrowers. Um, but, but then at the same time, the, she doesn't try to make the case that the plan was necessary. And you then, know, you know, this is the, you're, you're, now you're now you're really hitting on 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 every one of my favorite points, because I think necessary and appropriate has meaning and necessary is a, yeah. is a word that has meaning and, and it can't make it mean anything. Exactly. The word necessary is in the statute. But what's the connection between, you know, 10 or 20 thousand dollars of loan forgiveness for basically 95, 98 percent of borrowers and the economic impact of the pandemic when during the pandemic, most college graduates did not see their salaries reduced. They went up and, and they were better off because, because of the, the, the student loan pause. They weren't, not only did their salaries go up, but they weren't having to pay any of their debts. So they were made better off during the pandemic, financially at least. Um, yeah, although, not, a lot, I, health, I suppose but, they'd say a lot of these people are, didn't graduate. They have debt, but they didn't graduate. But you know, they didn't target it there, I, did they? You, you could, if, <clears> if that were the case, this policy could have targeted you know, non-graduates, you know, people with debt that, that didn't graduate. They, that might have been a different case. Uh, yeah. I, I think the major questions, maybe our argument would still foreclose that policy. But I think that would have been a stronger case if the Biden administration said, we're going to provide debt forgiveness to really poor people who, who dropped out of college and are still saddled with this, you know, enormous debt. Now, I have a, a question for you. We only have about a minute and a half left. Are there any other thoughts from this? You've been you've been litigating this a long time. Well, Is there any other yeah. takeaway you have? So just this hour, the White House has have put on a press, uh, a, a, sorry, a webinar whereby they're explaining three new student loan initiatives. One is to provide this kind of forgiveness through the Higher Education Act, which although this opinion doesn't address the Higher Education Act, that's a different case. Uh, I think the logic of this opinion would shut that down pretty quick. Uh, the second, they're, they're going to try to uh, transform some loan repayment plans into basically loan forgiveness plans. Um, but again, that, that runs, you know, it's, a, it's different from this opinion. But again, the major questions logic that Justice Roberts, uh, you know, articulated uh, should put a stop to that as well. So I, I'm not sure what, you know, the White House is trying to do, except trying to score political points, perhaps.
and get their base riled up, knowing by, by offering a plan, they know it's, it's doomed in the courts. Yeah, and I guess there is some thought that they can blame the courts because this is inflationary, right? And I want to stop inflation. So, so there is – presidents do this, both administrations. They do – sometimes they do things they know will be shut down, but they won't get the blame for it, right? And uh, it's not a good way to do constitutional law, but um, I guess we've seen it before and we'll see it again. So, Sheng, I want to thank you for your analysis. I want to um, thank you for being on the program, and we'll all see everyone next week. See you later, John.